Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. If you go back into the early days of Coast View, it started the show in January the 6th, 2020. I had a series of shows that I did and wanted to talk to some of the what I call stalwarts in the beginning, people like George Slogan and uh, I mean uh, Roland Weeks, my mentor, and a long long list of others. And one of the people that I talked to was a guy named Reed Geis. Now Reed, he's not only not not only has a great history as a leader in Coastal Mississippi, but he's also what I would refer to as one of Coastal Mississippi's real and true characters. And he's also a good friend of mine. And uh, had the opportunity to go hunting with him recently, and I've, I've invited him back. We'll talk a little bit about fly fishing, but we're going to talk about some world world travel as well. But let me, before we go any further, welcome my friend Reed Geist to Coast View. Great. Thanks for having me, Ricky. Really good to see you this morning. It's good to see you too. So look, we had an opportunity. You came up to the Delta, and, and uh, you and your son, Britton, came up to to, uh, to the Delta and hunted with me and, and my nephews. That was a lot of fun. So we can talk <laughs> about that for sure. But also, Britton, he's got your voice, and he's only like nine. <laughs> I know. I know he's older than that. But, but I'm just saying, it's weird to see this young man with a Reed Geist voice. It just, he's got it, doesn't he? Oh, he does. I tell you, he really made a lot of fun of me after that. He said that, Dad, you must have said this 30 times. We're here on the edge of the alluvial plain where the delta <laughs> rolls into the hills. <laughs> Quit saying that. You must have said it over and over and over. People would say, we're, we're at the edge of the alluvial plain where the Mississippi <laughs> River delta goes into the hills. Uh, melodrama. I get that from my dad. <laughs> well, look, but but you know, okay, but let's let's hey take take Bretton aside because he's probably just aggravated with you repeating it. But the point that you were making is, wow, what a special sp- spot. I mean that 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 when yeah. you can spend part of your time up in the hills and part of your time in the Delta, where all that comes together, it's a, it's a really a historic place in Mississippi, not just Mississippi's history, the United States history. Yeah. And you it's get that, magic. don't you? It's magic. It's a real, truly a magical place. Think about that. All of the, the all of that, that coming down from, from the, the United States into the Delta of Mississippi, the way it spreads out so flat for so many miles, so many miles. And, and you have a place right where it turns into the, the ridges. No, that's yeah. magic. So you got you got so so Reed and his son joined us. It was still uh, youth youth hunting weekend, and uh, I had my two nephews Peter and Nico with me, and Reed had Breton, and so you got to do a hunt down in the essentially the Delta, right? And then your last hunt was up literally up in the hills. That's right. And it's amazing how different those how different those two views are, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible when you come over that hill, and um, and 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 you look, you're looking over the the entire Mississippi Delta from the top of that hill. You can see forever, 
I know. I know. It just it grabs you. So it didn't bother me that you kept talking about the alluvial plain. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I can dictionaries see. on alluvial. Breton's a serious <laughs> kid, but I had the opportunity uh, to spend some time in the woods with Breton, and it was a lot of fun. He's such he's a he's a fun kid to be with, and literally, I mean, you think about it. He has literally been all over the world in his young life, hasn't he? Yeah, he really has, Ricky. You know, it's, uh, my, my wife and, and I we really, really love to travel. And um, he's been to some pretty exotic places. Um, just to just, just give, give the listeners a, uh, uh, just a peek inside what your world travels look like. <laughs> okay, well, well, uh, he's been to Europe, of course. He's been to Italy. Uh, he's been to Greece and to the Greek islands. Uh, but he's been, we've gone to Morocco. I mean, talk about a foreign place, been in Morocco, Vietnam, uh, been into Cambodia, um, India, and uh, probably the, the, the most special place, Bhutan. Bhutan is, a, is a, a country where they, up until the 70s, they didn't allow visitors in there at all. And so to, to be able to go in, into that country and, and visit it uh, is a place where uh, it's just time stopped there. Uh, everyone actually wears their native uh, uh, clothes every day. They wear the clothes. Uh, it didn't just something ceremonial. Uh, and they're, they're very serious people. You know, they, they measure the success of their nation by, their, the, by the happiness quotient, the, the gross national happiness. They mm. go throughout the, the country and talk to people and check on how they feel about things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw a picture recently you guys posted you were in Greece. I think I saw it from where you were staying. You could see the Parthenon. Is that, is that what did oh, I read that correctly? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And, um, during that time, we, we went during, during COVID. So there's not very many people there at all. So it's almost as if we had the entire history of, of Greece all to ourselves. Uh, you could look down and see the theater, Dionysus. Uh, imagine the plays that that took there uh, took place down there, um, yeah. and in 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 the islands, any place you go in Greece, there's going to be a temple someplace. <laughs> hey, I remember when you went on your honeymoon, you came back, and I said, "What's what's the most outstanding thing you saw?" And you said, "What what, what most 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 outstanding observation that you made?" And he uh -huh. said, "You said everything is really old." <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't get much older than going to Greece. It's old, man. It sure is. It's something else. That's where it all began. I had uh, I had that impression when we were in Croatia. You know, when we're when split, and you had the you had the uh, the palace there that was uh, Julius Caesar's accountant, and the impact <laughs> that, that 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 the Roman Empire. I mean, you see you see bits and pieces of it all over, <laughs> and you get a sense of you know. <laughs> Yeah, that was a long, long, long time ago, and it was real. It was some fairy tale. I mean, that's what's that's amazing right. about it. You know? That's right. You know, you in this far distant place. When you travel, read, it helps you gain better perspective about how coastal Mississippi fits into the rest of the world. And yes. I mean, it's a you want to come home, even though as much as you might enjoy Greece, it's great to come home, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And uh, it, it is a, a kind of strange. We used to say around in blocks we say you know we're the second oldest city in the nation no we're not even close to that and and <laughs> even 1699 is a blip in time when you look at some of these other nations and we're constantly changing our zip codes and our area codes right and our addresses change um 
uh, when I went to Paris, my, my mother said, I want you to go find this place, this, this street. And this is where um, uh, Louis Hebert lived. He's, he's, a, he's somebody that, that you're a descendant of, of them. That's one of your ancestors. And he founded Quebec. And here was this, I found them a little map. She had drawn just a little bitty map. And, and I asked the concierge, uh, you know, where is this? He said, I go this way. I went down there. The street is still named the same street. The building is still the same building number. I mean, from, from you know, 500 years ago. And there's a little plaque there, a little plaque there saying that, that you know, talking about uh, Louis Hebert, the, the founder of Quebec that has lived there. He was um, Catherine de Medici's uh, perfumer. Uh, it wow. was on the edge of the Louvre. He actually had a, he could get, you know, to the other side of the Louvre and get into the palaces from there. No doubt he made her poisons too. <laughs> Probably no doubt about yeah. that. But it, it is interesting to learn these perspectives. And one of the things that you and I have, uh, well, we, I, I should point out, we actually worked together at some point. You, when you had uh, your three iterations of your ad agency, uh-huh. we'll come back to that in the next segment, but three iterations of your ad agency, through each iteration, you were the agency of record most of that time for the Sun Herald, and yeah. you know, I was—I I worked my way up to marketing director at some point. I obviously became the publisher at one point, and uh, and you and I spent a lot of time together in that regard. And then, you um, then when Hurricane Katrina hit, you and Ted Riemann were the agency of record for the Governor's Commission right. and worked very closely there. Uh, I mean, I look—I I had a great conversation with uh, Mike Smith, the mayor of Waveland, yesterday. And he was talking about building the harbor and developing Coleman Ave- Avenue, and all these thoughts can, started to come back up about the the charrettes that we had with over a hundred architects and and planners from around the world that were led by Andreas Duani, and the belief that they had in a place like Waveland that was wiped off the face of the earth that it could resurrect, but that it had to take advantage of its shoreline. You see what's happened in Bay St. Louis. I mean, That's what's right. happened there is unbelievable. But you know, it's taken a lot, lot of time, but it's so interesting the way that what Andreas taught about creating walkable communities and mixed use, that's what everybody's talking about today. It's taken about right. 16 years for us to get to this point where we're having a common language about people live, working, and playing. But uh, man, those were some formative times in our early days after Katrina, weren't they? We're starting from scratch. Um, uh, and when the governor said he wanted to build back better, he meant it. Uh, and he put his money where his mouth was. I mean, thank goodness we had Haley Barber and his connections in Washington. We never really made it out. Uh, you can look at our neighbors uh, and how uh, how they didn't quite come out so good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Bluntly. No. But, uh, hey, you know, I, I, I tell you, um, when I say, I've, you know, I've written a lot over the years, but the, the opportunity to write the foreword to his book was one of the big, big honors in my life. And I... Because it wasn't the Ford wasn't just about Haley Barber. I mean, he wanted it to reflect the incredible and enormous leadership that came forward after after the storm. I and mean, you and you and I got to see it. Some people stepped up, some didn't. But those who stepped up, we had a blood pack of one another, and we look right. back on it now affectionately. This is Reed Geis. We'll continue the conversation when we get on the other side. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Koshu. I have Reed Geis, who uh, was in, in the ad agency business. I, I think he still does a lot of consulting in that domain even today. Um, he has the, 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 the real benefit of being sort of uh, quasi-retired or maybe mostly retired. World traveler, big-time fly fisherman. We'll get into some of that in just a second. But, you know, we mentioned Britain, Breton just a few minutes ago, named after Breton Island yeah. uh, uh, just a, a few minutes ago. But your son, Wade, is, has become an absolute unbelievable furniture artist. Oh, wow. he, tell me, gifted. tell us about him. Yeah, he's gifted. Yeah, he really is. And um, this must have come from my father because I have never really been a woodworker. Um, he worked with his sister in California in the, the production, television production, film production business. But he, he went his own way and started working with woods. And, and the, the, what he's creating, this custom furniture that he's creating, uh, it's beyond compare. I mean, it's world class. Uh, he has wonderful ideas. Um, uh, he, he, he just loves working with that wood, uses a lot of hand tools, uh, uh, non-powered tools, planes and things of that, of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, really, really proud of him. He's made a pretty darn good career out of it, hasn't he? Yes, yeah. He makes a good living out of that little shop. He sure mm-hmm. does. And he ships things all over the nation. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's got trucks pulling up all the time, carrying his stuff all over Okay, so your daughter, Angela, mm-hmm. and I have had uh, a Koshu session together. Okay. She's out in California. And first of all, before the pandemic, she was doing amazing things. You know, yeah. music videos, commercials, all kinds of stuff. Uh, her production company, she, she married a really super talented, creative guy. The two of them together have been a force to be reckoned with. But during the pandemic, and this is what was so cool about the conversation we, we had, obviously she loves Biloxi. That will forever be sort of you know, her, her center. But what she's done out in L.A. has been incredible. But during the pandemic, they have used technology and they've revolutionized their company in a way that through use of, of remote uh, production and other things. It's introduced her to other people. She continues to evolve. Angela, where is she headed, Reed? She's oh, doing boy. so unbelievably it, well. It's, it is. It's, it's amazing. It, they took advantage of, of they took advantage. The pandemic was tough. It shut down all production. All live production was shut down. Um, and her husband, Mikkel, came up with an idea. He said, we're going to put together a remote package that we can send any place. And we'll get a local grip to go down to their place, you know, gloves and masks and set it up. And that's what they did. They set this camera up with a light kit and uh, they were able to control the camera and direct uh, from from their place in Los Angeles. Um, the people they were working with, well, they, they did the ABC up fronts like that remotely, which is where people, uh, uh, where they, they are promoting their TV shows to the ad agencies and media buyers for the next year. Usually it's a big deal done on stage. Um, they, they, did the, they did the whole thing for them and, um, and their clients have been forever grateful for that and they're continuing to, to use them now that we're a little post-pandemic. The name of her company is New Context and mm-hmm. it has continued to evolve 
It's got a terrific relationship with Disney, ABC. It's got, I mean, I mean, she's worked. I mean, I mean, I, I said during the show, but she's worked with people like Taylor Swift and Kanye West and Molly Cyrus and a long list of others. She's had the opportunity to be around people like Steven Spielberg and Robert Redford and Quentin uh, Tarantino. Yeah, right. I mean, the list goes on and on. But she she has really done it all. But what's cool about what she's doing, and you mentioned it just then with that technology that they that they adapted and used in the pandemic. Is that they are? They can turn on a dime, man. They, yeah. she, she's an incredibly gifted relationship builder. Mm-hmm. But when you bring the creative and technological, you know, firepower that they bring to the oh. table, and this willingness to do, you know, you really unique and maybe challenging gigs, they have just scored, haven't they? Uh, it, it, it's really amazing. By the way, you still there? Yeah, we're here. Go ahead. You're okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, her husband, Michele, is, is truly a genius. While, while they were working on doing that remote stuff while he was at home, he was um, uh, producing uh, face masks, clear face masks for our, our, our people in the healthcare industry with a, um, with a uh, what do they call them, those little printers, you know, the, um, a, a computer printer. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it, it just 3D, made, you know, a 3D printer. A 3D printers, right. Yeah, yeah 3D yeah. printers. Yeah, he was making face masks out of 3D printers, uh, these these big acrylic ones, and you know, and sending them out all over Los Angeles, getting them to the hospitals. And it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really. So, is. so you sit there, a proud father, and uh, you watch your kids evolve, and it's it's exciting to see that. I feel the same way about my family. You know, looking back at your your parents, you know, as uh-huh. as we discussed the last time we were together, they were famous. I mean, come on oh, now. Yeah. I mean, you know, your your father and mother were critical in the civil defense, or excuse me, as it related to protection mm-hmm. and 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 coastal Mississippi, particularly around Hurricane Camille and, and the storms that follow that. You, you still hear their name pop up all the time, don't oh, that's you? That's right. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> Dad, of course, he was like living with Elvis. He was so famous. Any place <laughs> he went, if he, somebody knew him. Um, uh, my, my, my wife, Susan, told me that she was working at the bank and somebody came and said, I had lunch with Wade Geis. Said, Who's Wade Geis? What's the big deal about that? That was before we ever met. Um, but he never met a stranger. Uh, he was so good with the media uh, because he never blew anything out of proportion. He was deadly serious about everything. Uh, people would say if he came on TV and there's a hurricane in the Gulf and he was wearing a shirt and his tie was undone and he was smoking a pipe, well, then everything was going to be fine. But if you came on TV and he's wearing a white jumpsuit and had a cigar in the corner of his mouth, you need to run for the hills. <laughs> <laughs> I always um, love that story. I love that yeah. story. One of the things that I enjoyed about our time together when I was at the Sun-Herald is that we had what we called kind of the International Lunch Club. Yeah. And we would go enjoy some Vietnamese food together and just try different kinds of stuff. And we would always you know, spend our, our lunches talking about uh, authors, you know, from from Faulkner yeah. to Hemingway, you turned me on. I, I had read a little Hemingway, but I, you gave me my own copy of the short stories, which I which I read greatly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, along the way, as I as I pointed out the last time we visited here on Kosia, I, I shared uh, Ernest Hemingway with my son Justin, mm-hmm. and you know he he has literally read literally everything that he's written, <laughs> and he's uh, living the life. He's living uh, do I a Hemingway life, isn't he? 
Well, he's enjoyed. I tell you what, he's really enjoyed. I mean, when he read The Sun Also Rises, as you well know, and I blame you for nearly getting him killed. He went to, when he was living in Spain, learning Spanish, and I visited him there, and he was super serious about that. Uh, but while he was there, he uh, caught a train and went over to Pamplona and ran with the bulls and, <laughs> you know, got an injury, not from a bull, but got a, got a bloody leg injury that people say, oh, did you get gored? And he, he would tell the correct story that he just okay. got bumped, bumped something in the midst of running from the bulls. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, we've, we've shared a lot of fun literature together over time. And it was so interesting. You were in Africa. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe this was Africa. last year. Yeah, and you, while you were there, you sent me uh, the the uh, a stanza from A Short Happy Life of Francis McCumber that came from the Hemingway short stories. And uh, it, it, he he caught it, didn't he? He captured the essence he of what you were seeing, it. didn't he? Yeah, we were, we were in these lorries, you know, these open lorries, um, uh, bench seating kind of. And we're in the middle of a pride of lions. I mean, these lions could have killed us in an instant. Um, yeah. This big old male lion, he woke up and yawned. By the way, you know, when they do the roar, the MGM roar, that's actually, they dub in that. It's when they yawn that their mouths get open. It's so open like that. But this, this animal, he walked within, I don't know, a foot and a half behind me. You know, I mean, uh, it was... And how is that? How is that possible? But you look at, at Hemingway, the short, happy life of Francis McComber, that he has, uh, he's speaking like uh, um, uh, from the lion's perspective. And the lion is looking at this stuff and saying, hmm, there's one of those big things. Yeah, he doesn't, it isn't, they don't look at it as, as people at all. But when someone gets out of the lorry, you know, oh, it's one of those people things. <laughs> yeah, I can eat it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so they said, don't do not raise your hands. Don't make any noise. Stay the big lump thing, not the people thing. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> but it was it was fascinating. He captured it from the point of view of the lion. It is, that, is, that is so cool. That is so cool. I, I actually saw on the news recently where on a safari, mm -hmm. uh, a large male elephant actually attacked the big thing. <laughs> oh gosh. And the people had to had to bail out. I don't know if someone was hurt. I just saw the quick video of it. But you could see how that could happen, couldn't you? Oh absolutely. And, and we were even rushed a couple of times to keep the smaller bull. Uh, you know, just kind of kind of playing if you will, because you know we they're a big thing and you're a big thing. Okay, <laughs> big thing. Let's get after it. Hey, when we come back, I want to talk to Reed about where his love of fly fishing came from. He's actually a master fly fisherman and ties his own flies, has a terrific collection of rods, and uh, has been, I guess, all over the world, we should say, uh, fly fishing. Where did that come from? And we'll talk about it as it relates specifically to coastal Mississippi. We'll see you right after this. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews, brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm having a 
catch up conversation with my friend, friend Reed Geis. Reed, with his wife, uh, co founded Geis and Geis Advertising Agency in 1976. And then along the way, uh, unfortunately, she passed away, but along the way, Godwin Group bought it in 1998. Reed worked with them for a, a while as president of the Godwin d- Division. And then along the way, he decided to form his, you know, his own agency again called the, Ga- the Geist Agency. He did that in 2003. And um, over the years, it's kind of waned a bit. He's still got two or three customers that he works with from time to time, or actually on an ongoing basis, and, uh, and just kind of enjoying life. One of the things he enjoys doing is fly fishing. And Reed, where did that love of fly fishing come from? Well, it, it, it came from dad. And the love of fishing really just came as a youngster. We fished with, with cane poles, you know, and little bitty hooks and little pieces of bait, little bobbers. And I didn't care what we, we caught. We just caught lots of fish. Hardheads, you know, I mean, pinfish, little croakers. It didn't matter. We just liked to catch fish. And dad loved taking them off the hook for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 13, they had a JC's fishing rodeo. And so um, we went there with our cane poles. It was me and my little sister and my little brother. And um, we started fishing with little hooks and bobbers, just the way we always did. And I believe that during that time, I may have caught 42 fish or something. And the the king fisherman was going to be whoever caught the most fish. And so, yeah, I did by far. Everybody else was there with their dads, um, um, you know, with the Mitchell 300s and the spinning reels and things like that. And um, uh, But, man, we put it on them. All the <laughs> fish were you know, just tiny little fish, but we caught the numbers. I was like, oh, you cheated. You, you, your little brother and your little sister, you got their fish too. I said, no, well, she caught 32 and he caught 18. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I won the king fishing uh, I was a king fisherman of the JC's rodeo when I was I was 13 years old. It was amazing. It was in the newspaper, Ricky. And um, in the newspaper, though, I wasn't wearing a shirt that that day. I was just you know naked to the waist and, and um, no shoes, probably too. In the newspaper, painted a T-shirt on me. <laughs> what a great story! Can you believe that? It was Lyle Page handed me the trophy, and they painted a T-shirt on my body. Lyle Page. Oh man, God bless his rest really? of his soul. What but a terrific! They, I man. had my choice of, of of prizes, and I chose a, a fiberglass fly fishing rod because I knew that my daddy had one too. So we started fly fishing in the little streams right around this area, like the, the little Biloxi River. Um, and uh, I went there brim popping. Now, I thought you were supposed to pop, so I was always popping it out of the water and making that noise. But Dad knew what to do. He would just throw it out there and let it drift, and then a brim would hit it, you know? So <laughs> we, would, we would catch some fish. Not enough to eat, ever. But um, you got it caught you. It, it oh yes! Oh, it caught me. Yeah, that, that, that's who got caught. It was me, not the fish. But as you, but as you got older, you came to appreciate that fly fishing, probably more than anything else, that, that involve, involves taking taking an animal of, of some sort. Fly fishing, probably among everything else, is the one thing when the the culture and the atmosphere around it defines the activity. I mean, you're right. Is that true? It is true, and there's been a lot, a lot of literature surrounding uh, fly fishing, um, and it, it's just, 
when in your fishing career, you're a fisherman. You know, at first you want to catch a lot of fish. Then you want to catch a big fish. Then you want to catch a lot of big fish. Then you want to catch them the hard way, maybe top water. Only I'm going to only fish top water baits, top water mirrors. All I'm going to do is fish top water. You start to specialize. You you uh, start to push yourself. You want to see how far you can go. Well, and finally, it's you know fly fishing. Um, it, it's a wonderful sport, and it, it's um, it it's hard to describe. Really, but it, I think I did it the right way there. It's just, you know, a way you limit yourself. Um, well, we, but in many we, ways, it's not limited yeah. at all. We've talked about this before, but the way that Middleton in his book on the spine of time described standing in the stream in North Carolina and what's going on around him, I think it's probably captured as good as anybody I've ever seen written about it. And like a lot, a lot has been written about, about fly fishing, but he seemed to, he seemed to get it, that it was this like great catharsis that you were participating in. And when you're like in a stream in Montana or Wyoming or offshore with me, uh, you know, catching some big fish, um, it's, it is a catharsis for you, isn't it? It's neat. And I really enjoyed fishing with you. As I recall, um, one of your sons caught a record bonita while yeah. I was on the boat fly fishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a real thrill. I also caught a, a record on your boat, uh, a state record for Almaco Jack. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Fish was only about six inches long, but it was an <laughs> Almaco Jack, and it's a record. You know. Yeah, you can, yeah. So you can catch any kind of fish on 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 a fly rod. I've caught I've caught sharks. You know, not just redfish and speckled trout, flounder, sharks. Uh, well, tarpon and bonefish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's it, any species out there you can catch them. So, uh, if you th if we're talking about saltwater, probably off our coast, you know, maybe going to the schools of redfish or whatever, probably uh -huh. your pinnacle enjoyment. But when you're in a freshwater environment, I mean, of course, you fish in freshwater all around the world. What's your top? What's your top spot? Whoa. Well, any stream I'm fishing in, I really prefer fishing in streams to lakes. I like yeah. the, the sound of the water. Um, I like to, to watch the fly move. I like to mend the line so I can keep drag off of the fly. And I love to see that, that take uh, from, from a, a top, you know, from a dry fly. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I've, I've, it, whether it's in, in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains or um, in California or Montana or Colorado, um, uh, any of those places. Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, Sheffield and I have fished down in uh, New Zealand and in Patagonia uh, for trout. Um, mm -hmm. It's a yeah, it's something. You know, I forgot all about fishing. I think when I turned sixteen or so, and I started, uh, I changed fishing for the, the. I think it was the perfume and the smell of gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> took my mind off of it. <laughs> but um, when I went through through college and through the army when i got out of the army when i was in the army i was in georgia and i started enjoying fly fishing there and as soon as i, I separated from the army i went straight out west yeah. and uh, went into the mountains backpacking and caught every kind of trout there was just loved it loved it um so, okay so it, when you were describing this advancing this advancing situation where yeah you're using heavy equipment, and then you want to you want to catch that same fish with light tackle, and then you want to catch that fish with maybe some heavy 
uh, you know, uh, fly fishing equipment, then you want to lighten up the fly fishing equipment. Right. Catch that. You're describing my son, Jordan, because he, 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 whether it's hunting or fishing, like hunting these days, like I had an old 16 gauge that got passed down through from my grandfather uh-huh. to my father to me, and then yeah. it's available for the boys to, to uh, hunt with. And, you know, Jordan's kind of dream now, he, he wants to, he wants to shoot a buck with a 16 gauge shot with that 16 gauge shotgun and last year he had one he had one perfectly at the whole setup he had a, a suit on and everything sitting on the ground yeah 10 yards and just as he started to put the gun up a doe who had kind of moved in a, a into sight where he was uh, saw him and one little squeal, and you know what happened after that. Oh but yeah, right. He's pre- he's pretty determined to do that. But it's all you know. It's all about experiencing the outdoors from every perspective. Mm-hmm. But fly fishing is one of the one of the key ones for sure. What made you decide to become sort of a master along the way? Well, you want to challenge yourself, like I was saying. And and um, uh, when I first started fly fishing, I really was was using brute force to uh, try to achieve what I was trying to achieve. I finally learned casting by reading some books and watching some some videos. Um, the thing you have to remember is that you're not casting a fly, you're casting a line. And the fly goes along for the ride. Mm-hmm. You may hear somebody, boy, I bet if you had a heavy fly on the end of that, you could get it. No, no, yeah, the, the line carries the fly, it carries it. Um, and you need to learn to cast a, a tight loop so that that line uh, doesn't have energy all you know it doesn't expend energy it just it, anyhow when you get the loop down you got it yeah then there's lays it down other, all, all sorts of other problems that can come along and so that that's why i studied i became a um a certified casting instructor so i can help others w- with their casting uh, i'm real good at, at spotting casting flaws and giving people uh, instructions on how to, how to to solve those flaws um, it, there's a lot of, of satisfaction in that as well. So you, you, as you've, as you taught me, um, a lot of people, they may create the loop and they may generally lay the fly down where they want it to be laid down, but they're using so much arm, they're wearing themselves out. And what right. you teach, it's all in the wrist and how, and the timing, and you do such a great job at that. So let's, what we're going to do, we're coming to the end of the segment. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about tying flies. I mean, yeah. what, what role does that play in all of this? And how do you decide what you're going to tie? And you do a lot of that. So we'll, we'll continue our terrific conversation here with Reed Geis when we come back from break. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a terrific conversation with my friend Reed Geis. Uh, Reed is a longtime ad agency owner and executive. 
He's made contributions in so many different ways in Coastal Mississippi over a lot, a lot of years. And he's been a longtime friend of mine. What's, uh, what's interesting about Reed, though, is his love of the outdoors, not just fly fishing, just loves to get into the outdoors in so many different, different ways. But as it relates to fly fishing, fly fishing is a great way to take in Coastal Mississippi, isn't it, Reed? There's so many opportunities oh, here. To, to So if you were going to give advice to someone who said, you know what, I want to get into that, what would you what would you advise them? I tell you what I would tell them to do is to go online and look up Hossfly, H-O-S-S-L-F-L-Y, Hossfly, H-O-S-S. F-L-Y. Did I say that right? Yes. yes. And this is the Historic Ocean Springs Fly Fishing Club. Um, you can join this club. It's a little expensive. I think it may be $15 a year. But uh, these men and women, they fly fish. Uh, they're fly fishing instruction. It's a great bunch of people. You can start there is the place to start. Yeah. Um, you, can, you don't have to have really expensive equipment to get started. Uh, you do. Uh, in fact, if I was buying equipment, though, I would make sure that that i spent the most attention on my fly line the reels and the rods aren't quite as important as the fly line mm -hmm. that's that's a place and you might be able to buy a rod for 175 dollars. you might be able to get a reel for less than 100 and buy that hundred dollar line though because the line is a whole like i told you you know the fly is going with the line you're casting line um we were talking a little bit, you know, when we were hunting up there, um, your, your nephews uh, took uh, some deer and I asked for the tails and I've, I've actually tied some flies for them from uh, the, the tails that we took from those deer. Yeah. And I want to get them to you so you can give them to them. Well, I, well, that's, that is super special, man. Bucktail, you know, that's a, that's a pretty sought after uh, item for tying flies, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a it's it's a bedrock. I mean, it's 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 everywhere. So uh, my my flies that I, I prefer the Clouser minnow, and it's strictly a bucktail fly. Uh, sometimes same color, sometimes two colors, but essentially it's a bucktail with with eyes, with some lead eyes. Mm -hmm. um, the Lefty's Deceiver is um, uh, a feathers, hackles, but also surrounded by bucktail. Um, mm -hmm. You use it for everything. You can also uh, take um, uh, buckskin and actually uh, have flies that you can uh, uh, spin the flies. And they get into big clumps and you can cut them with razor blades to make floating flies. Or make them square, round, however you want them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, deer hair is important. You said that when you hunt in saltwater, excuse me, when you fish in saltwater, you uh, principally tie three separate types of flies. What are those three different yeah. flies? Well, one would be the the, uh, the lead-headed uh, bucktail, the clouser minnow I was talking about. The other would be uh, a deceiver-type fly, and that, that's a, uh, a bucktail that has feathers in the middle of it. Um, the next one would be a, a tarpon-style fly. Um, these flies use a palmered hackle. You wrap the hackle around, and they stick out like little little fingers, and uh, and and with uh, feathers in the back. Then when you pull it, it has some motion. So those three types are about all you need. And maybe that and a crab fly. Yeah. You can do that with yarn. Yeah, the crab fly works really good for like uh, redfish along the marshes. Oh yes, and, and triple tail. Beautiful for triple tail. That may be my favorite fish out here to fly fish for. It'd be triple tail. Well, cobia too, but uh, not as yeah. much opportunity for cobia as there is triple tail. You know, the last few years we've really gotten into uh, running 
the the crab pots and and looking for triple tail under those cra uh, crab pots. We love yeah. running offshore and coming up on a tide line that's full of a lot of debris. I mean, there's oh. nothing more beautiful than that. <laughs> we'll oh, just stop. Man. I often say this, that when we go offshore, we're, we're going to take what we can get away with. And if we find a tide line, we will literally just stay, spend the rest of the day there if it's got fish. Yes. I mean, it's just so much fun because you get there's so much. The further offshore it is, the better it is, you know. Mm -hmm. So Obviously, lemon fish, obviously triple tail. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you catch a bunch of triple tail. We, went, we came up on a bucket once, not last year, but year before last. One bucket. And there might have been 50 blacktail, blackfish underneath that one bucket. And they just all came toward the boat as we were fishing. Unbelievable. Oh, and the dolphin loved that fly, too. Oh. They love they, a fly. They really do. Uh, just one last little comment about, about fishing off coast of Mississippi. When, when the red minnows are doing what they do, it's amazing, isn't it, Reed? Oh, it's amazing. It's a, a fish in a bucket, literally. I mean, they'll surround your boat, and the noise of them eating those red top minnows on the surface. There's nothing like that noise. They're just chowing down. You can be. You can find tarpon, redfish, sharks, jacks, a wide range of fish. Anyway, listen. It's been great catching up with you, Reed. Just talking about sure. your love of coastal Mississippi and your love of travel. And uh, we'll come back to you again soon, and just check in with you. Oh, thanks for having me, Ricky. I really enjoyed it. I got to get those uh, those uh, flies over to you. I got some yeah, I can't wait. To, I can't wait to share them with the boys. They're gonna love it. It's been great. great. This has been Reed Geis, and uh, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Supertalk MS Coast 103.1. A Supertalk Mississippi Media Production.